This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. So Paul said, I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, more than 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, can't tell, was caught up into heaven. Verse 4, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. It doesn't mean God wouldn't let him tell. It means he didn't have the words to describe heaven. Heaven is indescribable, according to Paul, at least in his experience. Of such a one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in my infirmities. The word infirmities means weakness. He's going to tell why he glories in his weakness. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth, but now I forbear. Lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. He's saying, don't make some illusions out of me being caught up into heaven. I am who I am. I am who you see and know. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations, there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger or personality of Satan, to buffet me. The word buffet means deliver blow after blow after blow. Sickness doesn't do that. But Paul was persecuted time after time after time. There was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Folks, please understand it's the devil that didn't want people to exalt Paul, not God. God's perfectly fine with Paul being exalted as a result of the revelations. God wanted people to think well. He wanted the church to think well of Paul so that they would listen to what he preached. It's not God trying to hold this guy down, but the devil sure is. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. Here's this word weakness again. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power, or so that, the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, weaknesses, reproaches, judgments, in necessities, doing without, in persecutions, we know what those are, in distresses for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I strong. Now, folks, let me... Let me um, point something out. Of all the times that the Bible uses the word grace, Old Testament and New, but particularly New, there is never a time where the Bible talks about healing being a result of the grace of God. Now, we know that it is. We know that the grace of God is the thing that caused Jesus to take everything that man owed a, pri owed a debt to, to pay the price for every aspect of the law of sin and death. So, we would have to say that just as forgiveness of sins or redemption or for, let's say it this way, we'd have to say that forgiveness of sins as a part of redemption is according to God's grace. He stooped down to help us. We would have to say that everything else Jesus redeemed us from, sickness and disease and poverty, would be according to God's grace. But never does the Bible specifically identify grace with healing. Never. 
People come to Jesus all the time in his earthly ministry and say, have mercy on me, and he heals them. Nobody ever comes and says, have grace upon me. It's just not there. Grace is always identified. As a matter of fact, the, the Greek word grace, let me define it for you, tell you what it means from Strong's Concordance. It means the divine influence, the godly influence on the heart and its reflection in the life. But here we see that it's a strengthening agent or results in strength, divine strength. And Paul gets it. There's a couple of things about this uh, passage of Scripture that really blows my mind. One is Paul makes a big deal about asking God three times for it. And his answer is, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. So here grace is talked about a strengthening agent. And Paul latches on. He takes hold of it. And he says, therefore, I look for the places where I'm weak uh, in myself. I look for the places where I have physical weakness. I glory in those things because that means in those physical weaknesses, in those things that are too great for me to do, though I look to be weak, though I appear to be weak, that's where the power of God will make me strong. He's saying, or it follows, the logical reasoning follows, God's not going to strengthen you in things you're strong. Why should he? But he will strengthen you in things you're weak. Paul's acknowledging his weakness when it comes to persecution. When it comes to the attacks that were made against him in almost every city he went to. He's saying, that's where I've found the strength of God. Remember that Paul wrote to the Galatians, Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Doesn't say a word about you being strong in yourself. It says, be strong in the Lord. Here's Paul's example of how you do that. Look with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'll start in verse 6. But this I say, he that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you. Notice the word grace. God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Now, notice he talks about grace in relation to prosperity or provision, whichever word you like best, take your choice. Some people get freaked out about prosperity. And they'll always quote the scripture that says, the prosperity of fools will destroy them. Well, folks, God's giving you a hint. Don't be a fool. <laughs> the pro prosperity of the wise does not destroy them. But here's talking about provision. Paul is talking specifically about giving, the attitude of our heart when we give, and so forth. And he says that grace extends to provision. God is able to make all grace abound towards you so that you always having all sufficiency in all, sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. He's saying God will make you rich enough. Or let me rephrase that. He's saying God has the capacity to make you rich enough to give to every good thing you see. Now notice it doesn't talk about the grace of God for you to have 12 houses and 42 cars. And I think, uh, I, I hate to have to say things like this, 
If you need a new car, believe for a new car. If you need a new house, believe for a new house. But please realize that there's a lot more to life than just the stuff you have. If you've built into your life the practice of giving that God says there's a grace for, then the things that God gives you, the things that he brings into your possession, will be blessed. But the real joy in life starts when you can help somebody else. Notice he talks about the grace of God where giving is concerned. Let me back up a chapter to chapter 8 and point something else out here. Let's start in verse 1. It says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit, we want you to know, of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. What? It's saying very simply this. King James English is covering up what, is try, what he's trying to get across, what he's trying to say. And what he's saying is very much that even though the churches in Macedonia, remember Philippi was the chief city of Macedonia in the book of Acts, it tells us. Those churches, even in the midst of poverty situations, were still great givers, liberal givers. And notice in verse 1, he says, and you Corinthians, I want you to have the same grace of God that they have. Their grace of God led them to give liberally no matter what their circumstances were. Even though it looked like they were impoverished themselves, they always came up with some way to give. Now, folks, as I said, Philippi was the chief city of Macedonia. You remember what Paul told the Philippians in chapter 4? He said, and my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He didn't make that claim to anybody else. Now, that doesn't mean nobody else was in line for it. But the one place that he tells the church, the one church that he speaks to is the church in Philippi, the chief city of Macedonia, that he ex ex uh, exhorts the Corinthians to follow their lead, to follow their example, and not be determined, not, don't let their giving be determined by what they have. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Jesus said the kingdom of God is as a man speaking the word of God into his heart. You exercising your authority in the name of Jesus, by whom you have access into the kingdom of heaven, to say that for you, you are free from the influence of sickness and disease. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. All right, let's keep reading. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded to the riches of their liberality, their giving. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty. That just simply means they wanted to be able to give more than they did praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. He's saying they gave us an offering for you. 
They gave us an offering for others. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. He's simply saying that they were willing to do whatever God told them to do. They were willing to obey what God told them to do. He's saying because the people gave themselves to the Lord first, and here's a secret, that's what makes obeying God easy. When you've already given yourself over to him, just doing what he directs you to do is simple. That's who these people were. And God, by the Holy Ghost, calls it a grace. He said, in so much, verse 6, that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so would he also finish in you the same grace also, same giving. Therefore, as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. Now, notice verse 8. He said, I speak not by commandment. I'm not commanding you in the name of the Lord that you have to do this. See, folks, when people want to argue about tithing or giving or all this kind of stuff, and the idea that, that has been planted in so many people's minds about the church and the ministers that minister uh, the word are just after your money and all this kind of thing, that's just a lie. It's just an excuse. Paul says, I'm not commanding you. I'm just urging you to follow their example. I speak not by commandment, but by the occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. He's saying Jesus paid the same price according to the grace of God or by the grace of God. Jesus paid the same price for lack and for poverty that he paid for sin and disease and sickness. It's all according to grace. So when you were redeemed from sin, redeemed from spiritual death, you were redeemed from lack and poverty too. Now when you know that, it makes it easy to give yourself over to God. It makes it easy to surrender your purse strings to the direction of the Holy Ghost. But the people that are fighting it, the people that are fighting against it, the people that struggle with it over and over and over again, here's where they're stumbling. They really don't believe God would be better to them than they would be to themselves. And that's what it all comes down to. That's what obedience in the tithe comes down to. It's what obedience in giving comes down to. When you know the character and the nature of God, that he will do better for you and be better to you than you would even be to yourself, why not serve him? I'm about out of time. Let's run through some of this real quickly. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. I'm going to have to start in verse 1 here too to get the context. He said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, verse 1, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Most translations translate that phrase reasonable service as spiritual worship. Remember when uh, Jesus was talking to the woman at the, wish, uh, at the uh, I just confused or conflated the woman with the issue of blood with the woman at the well of Samaria. <laughs> so the woman with wishes. <laughs> at least I saw what I was doing, right? The woman at the well of Samaria 
was questioning Jesus about where do we worship God. And Jesus said, the, the day is coming and it now is where they that worship God must worship him in spiritual, spirit and in truth. This is spiritual worship, not just singing in tongues. Spiritual worship is the way you live. That always goes over big. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let me go back to that. The reason it's the, the issue, the reason that it's spiritual worship is because the way we live is the way that we can show to others outside the family of God what the grace of God is. It's the only way the grace of God is going to be seen is if we live according to the word and according to the Holy Ghost direction. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove or determine by experience what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Notice the words of himself are in italics. We certainly don't want to think more of ourselves than we ought to think. But folks, I would submit to you that that's not the problem of most of the church. The problem with most of the church is not that they think too highly of themselves. The problem with most of the church is that they have not renewed their mind to who they really are, which will cause you to think more highly of yourself than you used to think, not because it's you, but because of what Jesus has done. So really he's saying don't think about anything more highly than you ought to think. He's saying don't allow strongholds, wrong ideas, reasonings against God and against his word to hold sway in your life. Think according to what God's word says. Think according to the truth. The Bible talks about, Paul talked about casting down imaginations in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Well, if we're to cast those things down, what are we supposed to do? Renew our mind to what the Bible says. Believe and accept what the Bible says is truth, because it is. For we, as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, meet, being many, are one body in Christ, and everyone members of another. Notice verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. This is not strengthening grace. This is not saving grace. This is not sanctifying grace. This is not giving grace or serving grace. This is a grace that puts us in place to fulfill God's plan and purpose for our lives. Everybody has a grace from God to do something. It's something that makes you unique. It's something that will bring you into the fullness of God's plan and purpose for you. So he gives us a list of some things. I don't necessarily believe that this is a complete list. I think he's just given us some examples of what this grace upon us to do will produce. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Prophecy means to speak in a known language by the inspiration of God. Some people are gifted to speak. Some people aren't. He says, if that's your thing, then prophesy according to the proportion of faith. That means people will prophesy, people will speak for God on different levels. You'll remember the story of when Paul was on his way to Jerusalem, and after that, 
with the knowledge that he was going to be put in chains was going to Rome too. It says that the Holy Ghost witnessed in every city that bonds and afflictions awaited him. People were trying to talk him out of going right and left because the Holy Spirit made it very plain and very easy to recognize and identify what was ahead for Paul. But remember Agabus came down and he acted out what was going to happen. He took Paul's girdle and wrapped up his hands and said, so shall it be for the person that owns this girdle. And the rest of the group tried to talk Paul out of going, but Paul convinced them. He was not convinced by them. He convinced them that it was the will and the plan and the purpose of God for him to go. But Agabus prophesied on a different level than the others. He was a prophet. He stood in the office of a prophet. Well, a person that stands in that office would certainly operate to a greater measure or operate in greater measure than somebody that was just used occasionally to speak for God, wouldn't they? And notice he said that the thing that determines that is the proportion of faith. That doesn't necessarily just mean their knowledge of the word. It could be the understanding of what the Holy Ghost speaks to them to say. Well, what's another one? He said, our ministry, let us wait on our ministry. Word ministry just means serving others. We usually put these things in, in um, uh, read them in a mindset of public ministry or public focus or whatever. But this just means some people are gifted to serve. You remember Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus. Martha was a server. And Mary wouldn't get with her to serve and to, to follow her plans. She wanted to get around Jesus. She sat at his feet. Martha was a server. Well, notice that because Martha was a server, she thought everybody else ought to be servers too. That's the way it works with this stuff, folks. The way you're made is the way you think everybody else should operate too. Right. That's right. But if everybody was just like you, there'd be a lot of things that were missing in the church. If everybody was just like me, nothing would ever get done. <laughs> We'd know the word. But nothing would get done. I like having servers around me. <laughs> our ministry let us wait on our ministering, or he that teaches on teaches, on teaching. Now, you have to operate, I uh, have to understand that this operates on different levels too. Some people are teachers in the body of Christ, other people are teachers in Sunday school, other people teach their kids. God doesn't make a distinction and say the people that are on the platform are in the pulpit. Those are the real ones. It's the same grace gift for everybody in this category. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, he's calling giving a grace of God too, again, just like he told the Corinthians. Or he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, please notice there is a grace gift to rule or to lead. He that ruleth with diligence. One translation says, to him that has the gift to lead, for goodness sakes, lead. He that ruleth with diligence, and he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Notice that there is a grace of God just to show mercy. There's a translation in, in, uh, about this verse that talks about that as visiting the sick. Those that visit the sick 
Now, I don't know where they get it. I'm not sure it's a good translation because the words that are used there don't really fit the, the way the translation is, uh, is presented. But it says, to those that visit the sick, let them do it with the light of God's glory in their face. Finally, turn with me over to, to uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to read from beginning in verse 14. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, talking about your home in heaven, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, has written unto you. These guys were aware of the other letters that, that were being written. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood. Which they that are unlearned and unstable rest or wrestle with, as they do also the other scriptures under their own destruction. In other words, people in Paul and Peter's day twisted the word for their own purposes. Just like they do today. You therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things. Ye beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware lest you also, being led away with the error of the, of the wicked, fall from your, your own steadfastness, but grow in grace. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Now, folks, how do you grow in grace? When Jesus completed his work on the cross through his death, burial, and resurrection, Everything that God would ever do for mankind was already done. If you come to God for healing, Jesus doesn't have to go back to the cross or go back and take one more stripe on his back for you because the price was paid for all of us, right? So how do you grow in grace? Grace can't get bigger than it already is. It's like righteousness. You can't grow in righteousness. That was obtained by the blood of Jesus. So how do you grow in grace? Folks, the only way I know that fits is the rest of what Paul says and in the knowledge of Jesus. The more you grow in the knowledge of Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us, the more we grow in, our knowledge, in the knowledge of the word that we have depicting what Jesus has done for us and obtained for us, then grace gets bigger to us. But it's already a word that, that defies description. It's already a word that's used, I believe, to show the bigness of God. There's no other word in the Bible like the word grace. Every other word we're able to identify and, and define. Every other word has specific boundaries about what it means, what it doesn't mean, and so forth. Grace is this thing that encompasses everything because that's who our God is. He's all-encompassing. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. One translation says, that means a new species of being. God put his spirit inside of you and made you a new person. You're not the person you may see yourself to be. Learn to look at yourself through the lens of God's word and walk according to what he says about you. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. 
This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. Grace is costly. It is as sacred, holy, and precious as the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.